let's talk about AI this morning, because it seems to me that despite all of the warnings and all of the concern, things are still moving full steam ahead with development and research. And now comes warnings that AI systems will most likely develop sentience in the future, as in a subset of consciousness, including perception. Now, when I heard that, I thought, how close are we to this? And are people not a little worried about this? Now, J.C. Resanthus is a sociologist at the University of Chicago and co-founder of the Sations Institute. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning to talk about this. Hi, Simi. Thanks for having me. Should we not be a little worried about this, J.C., when we see these stories about AI at this point? There's a lot of reason for, for worry, but also excitement. People are focused on the many different capacities that these new, what we call digital minds could have. One of those, the one we talk about the most is intelligence. But increasingly, we're talking about something like general intelligence, which is the ability to solve problems a lot of, across a lot of different domains. Sentience, which is the capacity to feel. Perception and the ability to holistically you know, sense your environment and grasp the world. All of these come with their own unique suite of benefits and costs. Okay, what kind of benefits do you think there are? So if we have AI that can communicate with us and understand us, kind of know where we're coming from, because the AI has their own experience of the world, that can make them really valuable as a companion, as a therapist. Uh, they can see where you're coming from. And a lot of people think this is one reason, even just in the course of building an intelligent system, you'll get these other capacities. You know, if, it, if you want a system that can design a really great press release for your company or write great social media right. posts, if it's got a grasp of, of humor, a sense of humor, it's going to be better at that than if it doesn't have one. Okay, but where do we draw the line? I feel like when it comes to technology, we don't see the line until it's behind us sometimes. We don't even know where we would draw a line right now. Yeah. Um, actually, in, in the U.S. Congress this week, uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, that's the company behind ChatGPT, one of the most famous of these tools, will be grilled um, on what can be regulated, what can be done with these technologies. Many people don't know. So a lot of scientists are just calling for a slowdown. So they're calling for increased accountability and transparency and scrutiny. We're moving so quickly that we kind of just need to take a step back and say, hey, where are the lines that we could draw and which ones make the most sense? But JC, when have we ever done that? When have we ever decided that, you know what, we're going to slow this down because we're concerned about it? Yeah, I mean, that's why we're all up at night right now, concerned. Uh, Oppenheimer, this, this movie is coming out this summer on the Manhattan Project yes. of Nuclear Weapons. And one of the lines in the trailer for that was, well, well, can you guarantee that there's zero risk that this weapon will destroy the earth? And he says, uh, likely zero, but I just have theory right now. We haven't done it in practice. So I think a lot of it comes from having small empirical tests under intense scrutiny and better understanding these models before they come out. But you're right that we don't have much precedent for it. And AI is sort of a one-shot technology because of the ways it's able to grow and improve that a pause is really the only way forward. Is there a way, though, in your opinion, to continue to develop AI with this awareness, with this understanding, so that people who are doing that development can stop and say, wait a minute, this might be too much? Yeah, so, I mean, that's exactly the goal, because there are a lot of things that just current systems can do if we take the time to integrate them in society, understand them, fine tune them for specific tasks, instead of just building bigger and bigger AI. So, I mean, the founders of these companies call their goal building godlike AI, you know, building the most powerful systems. What we have right now is incredibly powerful. It, it really understands 
English text, for example, and it can produce all sorts of things. It's often just kind of chaotic and it's hard to get it to say the right thing. There's a whole ensemble of, of startups and business leaders trying to apply it to specific fields. So, okay, what can it do for medicine? Can it help people online, you know, as a first pass at their diagnosis? Can it be applied in education as, as an individualized tutor and so on and so forth? All of that research should continue. And, and that's kind of the way we can spend our time in a, in a nice, we talk, we talk about these AI winters, uh, so area times when investment and, and hype declines in AI and, and then the industry crashes and burns because it was overhyped. Um, we might be headed towards one of those, but we could stay in this summer and we could enjoy the, the fruits of our labor and apply it to real world problems. Okay, so here's another question then. So if we can make AI understand a lot of things, can we also make AI understand our concerns? Yeah, in fact, the most promising long-term solution to what we call the alignment problem, so aligning these systems, is to have some AIs that are helping us align other AIs. Because if, you know, the current model that people talk about right now is GPT-4. So if version four of an AI can train version five, because, you know, we can barely understand right now, there's a version two out there that's kind of small and we're trying to understand it, see how it works internally. Um, if we can do that kind of one step at a time, that might allow us to align a system that's more powerful than we are. But it really is unprecedented. You know, we don't have, uh, despite your cat at home being able to kind of tell you what to do and, and, and own you in some sense, we don't have good <laughs> examples of less intelligent beings really controlling more intelligent beings. Uh, you clearly got a cat, don't you, JC? <laughs> I have two dogs, but I've been around cats. Okay, yeah, because my cat is definitely like that for sure. Okay, <laughs> that, but that seems to me that what you're describing there would mean a level of awareness in the people who are developing and working on AI right now. Do you see that kind of awareness? It's complicated. So many of the founders of the field of modern AI got their start because they were motivated by this, this existential challenge that's, that's coming up for the human race. So there was this book in 2014 called Superintelligence, where a philosopher, Nick Bostrom, was warning about the dangers of AI. But a lot of people in Silicon Valley took from that, oh, hey, AI is going to be really powerful. I could start a company here and make a lot of profits. So in the background, there's been this concern of safety, and I'd like to see that manifest more. But the thing is, you get these profit incentives, you get misalignment, um, you get people who are thinking it's an arms race. It's really easy to reason as one of these companies, or even as a country like the U.S., and say, hey, you know, China or hey, our, our competition might come out with this before us. We're going to do a better job ethically of, of the safety and alignment of these systems. So we need to race to it first. Right. But that's a, a race to the bottom. Nobody's going to win if everyone's doing that. Right. But isn't that what's going on right now, JC, what you described there? Like the arms race seems to be among big tech companies and they're, they're racing each other. That's true to an extent. Um, right now, these sm this small set of companies is pretty far ahead of everyone else. So there's always been this question in the background of, you know, is China in particular, because they've got so much tech infrastructure, are they building something behind the scenes? And we actually are racing with them. But it turns out that, you know, so much of this field is, is public in ways, or at least has been to date, because you have these big AI conferences that academics attend and researchers of these companies attend. But it really seems like a select few companies are ahead of the pack. Um, we might be seeing competition emerge. Right now, Google and Microsoft 
are kind of head to head. But again, you've got some people there who want to cooperate. OpenAI itself has a mandate. You know, they've said that they want to slow down when they're reaching really dangerous systems. Um, we just need to hold them to that, hold them to their commitment. And I think that's what Congress needs to do and what the public needs to do. Yeah. Do you have any hopes at all for what's happening in front of Congress this week? Like, will Congress go, OK, we need to step in here? I do have some hope, in part because if what you think right now we need is just a slowdown, there are a lot of different ways to achieve that. So you put in regulations, safety checks. There are many different ways to do this. For example, the hardware that these companies are using, you can put controls and, and track where that's going and make sure it's being used in the right ways. You can look at software and make sure when they build a new model that it's rigorously tested, that third parties come in and audit. But all of that kind of has the same general effect, which is to slow down and provide accountability and transparency. So I think we can do that. And I think that it's complicated because um, to get these models to do what we want, we want them to be safe and aligned because if they're not, they're not going to be giving us the text that we want for, for whatever medical diagnosis or some other problem. So I think there are the incentives right there, but it's, it's very crowded and complicated. Um, Congress can apply that slowdown pressure and then academics and other researchers who focus on AI safety research can provide the technical right. tools to actually implement safer AI. So interesting. JC, thank you for your time on that. Thanks for having me. That is J.C. Reese Anthes, sociologist at the University of Chicago, talking about artificial intelligence. 